Hello, language and culture lovers. This is Jules, your host of the All Things Iceland podcast. Welcome to this week's episode. If you are planning a trip to Iceland at any time in the future, this episode will arm you with useful facts and tips that will make your preparation much smoother. I'm going to start off with one of the most important things to keep in mind when you travel to Iceland. The weather. Regardless of the season, the weather in Iceland can vary wildly. In one minute, it can be raining and windy, and literally in the next, the sun can come out and be shining, and it's a lot less windy. (laughs) It's usually windy to some degree here. We've even had snow and hail during the summer, but just to be completely fair, snow and hail are rare during the summertime. It is best to know that rain and strong winds are likely to show up during your trip. So checking out Vedur.is, which is spelled V-E-D-U-R dot I-S, and I have a link to that in the show notes, is the weather website that most Icelandic people and visitors use when they want to know what the expected weather forecast will be. Most people don't rely on it too far ahead, so if you're looking a week in advance, it might end up being that the weather changes drastically from that forecast. So I recommend just checking 24 to 48 hours beforehand, and that will definitely help to give you a good idea of what the expected weather will be. What to pack? Regardless of the season in Iceland, you will need to pack layers. The average temperature in Reykjavik during winter is freezing, which is 32 degrees Fahrenheit or 0 degrees Celsius. But it can be much colder in other parts of the country, especially the north and in the highlands. During the summer, the temperature can range from 10 to 13 degrees Celsius or 50 to 55 degrees Fahrenheit. I did some informative episodes about summer and winter for this podcast, and I have links to them in the show notes. And all of my podcast episodes can be found on my website at fromforeigntofamiliar.com, along with any show notes, pictures, videos, or anything else that might be useful to you regarding these topics. So feel free to check them out. As I mentioned in the weather portion of this episode, just be prepared for varying weather conditions. The list I'm about to share is in no way inclusive of everything you should pack. These are items I feel that for sure will help you a lot if you pack them. Clothes like underwear and additional things you might pack, such as toiletries, are not mentioned here because I assume you will have some. But if you don't, there's no judgment on my end and, you know, pack whatever you feel is appropriate in addition to these. For summer, definitely pack the following. A waterproof or water-resistant shell, so that's just a jacket or coat, that has a hood, and a decent hood that can stay up even if it's windy. Remember that Gore-Tex is your friend. Waterproof or water-resistant pants as well. A good sweater is nice to have, preferably a breathable material made from synthetic or natural fibers like wool. If you are hiking, please do not wear cotton. This includes jeans, and that's because... They hold on to moisture from your body. So if you're sweating, the cotton material will just soak up all of that and it will still be there, make your clothes heavy, and then eventually if it's windy, you'll get cold. You could, of course, wear 
cotton material around town. But if you're going to be out in nature, it's best to go with something like wool or synthetic material that is breathable and kind of allows for water to evaporate. A light shirt for underneath your sweater. If it gets warm, then you can take off your sweater and you have a shirt on and maybe you end up just wearing the shirt because that has happened where it's gotten warm enough where you can just wear that thin layer or you're wearing the shirt with your jacket. Just giving yourself different possibilities and with having layers and of course a backpack, you can then stuff things that you don't need away and take them out when you do need them. There is all day brightness during the summer, at least during the main summer months. And having sun protection in the form of a hat, sunscreen, and sunglasses will definitely be necessary. The sun is very strong in this area of the world, and you can get burned quite easily. Hiking boots with good grip, such as Vibram soles, are definitely necessary. This is especially needed for hiking or walking on uneven ground, which is pretty much everywhere outside of the city. And it also will ensure if you're in places where maybe the ground is level but could be quite wet that you won't slip or you have less of a chance slipping. You can, of course, bring regular shoes or dress shoes if you're going to be in urban areas, if you're going to go out to dinner or just walking around. But if you want to explore outside of the urban areas, which I highly recommend that you do because Iceland is known for its nature, then having a good pair of hiking boots, especially if you're going to go hiking in the highlands or just anywhere with uneven ground and on slope terrain, you'll need to support your ankles. So having boots with like medium stiffness and going above the ankle will definitely be helpful. Bathing in a natural hot spring or in one of the lovely pools in almost any town in Iceland, I feel like it's something that you should definitely consider doing. I won't say you have to do it. I mean, it's completely up to you, of course. But in the event that you're open to it, make sure to pack your swimsuit. A thin pair of gloves is always good just in case it does start to get a little chillier. A buff, which is a material that can be used in many different ways. Some people use it as a scarf, as a hat, to pull their hair back. It's quite versatile. Many outdoor adventure stores have buffs. You can probably find them on Amazon as well. So definitely look that up if you just want to have one piece of clothing that kind of does multiple things. Iceland has an abundant amount of clean, delicious water that comes out of tap. You can get out of fresh streams, on a glacier, and I highly recommend that you bring a reusable water bottle with you so that you, A, don't have to spend money on buying water in plastic bottles because that's not great for the environment, but also it's completely unnecessary here. If someone's trying to tell you that you have to buy bottled water, then I would run away from that person immediately because there's something wrong there. Iceland, like I mentioned, you can drink right out of the tap. One thing to know, though, is that the hot water that comes out of some of the taps here smells like sulfur due to lining and and old pipes, but that's not going to harm you. Uh, The cold water, when you run that, it doesn't smell at all. So just an FYI something to prepare you that does shock a lot of people. For winter, these are some things I definitely recommend packing. A warm winter coat that has a good water-resistant layer, 
while there's more snow that happens or ice potentially here falling from the sky in Iceland, you still can have a decent amount of rain. So it's really helpful to have a warm coat that can repel water. Similar to the summer packing list, a sweater. Maybe this time you'll have a thicker sweater that you can use. And again, it could be that breathable material that's made from synthetic or natural fibers like wool. Of course, stay away from the cotton if you're going to be doing any outdoor activities where you're outside doing prolonged activities such as skiing, snowshoeing, or just going on a hike. A warm hat, scarf, and gloves. This time around, the gloves should be a lot thicker and warmer, maybe having some lining on the inside that helps. While glove warmers are not necessarily the best for the environment, there are some people who swear by them because their hands get so cold that they can't feel them. So if you are one of those people and you think you might need them, definitely bring them along. But layering gloves does help too. So if you have a wool pair of gloves or mittens that you put on and then another thicker pair over that, you will probably be fine. Winter boots with good grip on the sole, like Vibram. And this could be winter hiking boots or just winter boots in general. Of course, making sure that they have some water resistance or waterproof aspect to them will do you a lot of good. Warm socks, long johns or long underwear, whatever you call them. The next is pretty optional, micro spikes. I added micro spikes to this list because many people are surprised when they come to Iceland and learn that the sidewalks in Iceland are sometimes covered in a thick layer of ice. And Icelandic people are not trying to break up that ice and, and make it clear. Sometimes they put black sand down to give you more grip, but you can easily fall on the ice here. So just having some small micro spikes that help to give you some grip are super useful. I'm saying this from experience. I own a pair myself and I use them occasionally. However, a lot of Icelandic people pride themselves on not using them and I don't understand why, but that's another story for another day. While the sun is definitely not around as long during the day as it is in the summertime, I still recommend bringing sunglasses because most likely you'll be wanting to use the time of day when the sun is out. So it makes sense to have some sunglasses just because the sun is quite low and it could be directly in your eyes when you're driving or when you're looking out onto the vast beauty of nature that is Iceland. So that's just something to keep in mind. A swimsuit, going to a natural hot spring or to one of the pools here during the winter is so much fun and really relaxing. I definitely recommend trying it out. Again, a reusable water bottle, whatever season it is, it's going to be useful. I don't recommend packing the following in any season in Iceland, and that is an umbrella. The wind can get very strong here, and it can easily break umbrellas. Honestly, doesn't really help you that much most of the time, especially if it's quite windy, because the wind moves the rain in a horizontal direction. So unless you're going to be angling your umbrella a whole lot, there's a good chance that you'll still get wet even if you have the umbrella up and it could break. So <laughs> just save yourself the trouble and just make sure you have a coat that, as I mentioned before, has good water resistance and a good hood. If you're anything like me, when you travel to somewhere different or maybe a place that you've never been, 
you try to figure out how you're going to get from the airport to wherever your destination is, your Airbnb, hotel, hostel, and so on. And I've included in here the airport location and getting around town because I feel like it surprises a lot of people that the international airport is located in Keplavik, which is about 45 minutes by car from downtown Reykjavik. Most people assume that it's closer, but unfortunately that's not the case. So it's helpful to think a little bit about your transportation and plan that ahead of time. While it might be tempting to take a taxi, they are ridiculously expensive here. You could easily pay up to $200 or maybe even more one way if you took a taxi from the airport into town. Uber doesn't exist and neither do many of the other ride-sharing apps that people have become accustomed to using in different places of the world. And the ride-sharing culture hasn't really expanded enough in Iceland or been developed enough for it to be used on a mass scale for tourism. So I don't recommend relying on it. Hopefully, that changes in the future. Also, there are no trains in Iceland, but I have heard plans of building one in the future from the airport to Hapnafjörður, which is a town that's just on the kind of border of the Reykjavik area. So in the future, that would be great. But for now, that is not a possibility. The most popular option that is decently priced is taking the fly bus from the airport. On their website, you can choose where you want to be dropped off and you can book your ticket in advance. In the summer, the bus runs every 30 minutes from the airport and probably around every hour in the winter. You can definitely check that out on the website in the link in my show notes. They do have Wi-Fi on the bus, which is awesome. The seats are comfy, and you don't have to worry about driving. If you're bold and you want to avoid paying anything, you, of course, can hitchhike. Iceland is a very hitchhiker-friendly place. However, you run the risk of not being picked up, of course, and being caught out in terrible weather while you're waiting for someone to be generous enough to pick you up. On a side note, according to Google Maps, just in case you had thought about maybe walking from the airport (laughs) to downtown Reykjavik, it would take you 19 hours to get there by foot. And there are no sidewalks along the road that goes from the airport to downtown. And you would then potentially be walking on moss or just putting yourself in some danger because there are a lot of cars that are going at high speeds. So I don't really recommend that either. Many people rent a car, and that's becoming much more of a popular option. It's not cheap, though, and gas in Iceland is very expensive. But it gives you the flexibility to see Iceland at your own pace. One obstacle is that you will have to find parking downtown if you're going to be staying down there. Certain times of the day in specific areas, especially in the very center, are difficult to find parking because just a lot of people are there. I've seen many people cycling from the airport to downtown or just even other places in Iceland. If you're that type of person, go for it. But of course, make sure you wear your helmet and reflective gear and have your waterproof clothing easily accessible. You'll probably be glad to know that Reykjavik is a very walkable city, and you do not need a car to get from one place to the next, at least not in the very downtown area. When you want to go outside of the city, you can rent a car, as I mentioned earlier, or take a bus. 
either with a guided tour or a bus run by a private operator like Reykjavik excursions. But if you just want to get around certain areas within the Reykjavik capital region, then there are city buses. And you can download the Straito app to pay for the rides on your phone. One way is 450 Icelandic kroner. The bus driver will accept cash, but it must be exact change. There is a domestic airport that has flights to different regions of the country, and it's very easy to get to from downtown, whether by bus, car, or even walking, depending on where you're staying. And you can get flights to the north, east, west, and south, so pretty much any other place in the country. Of course, when you get there, you would need to find a way of getting around, or whether it's a car or being on a guided tour. There are some boats, such as ferries, but it's less common for many tourists to take a boat unless they're on a tour. However, you can take a ferry with a car or without a car to the Westman Islands, which is a really beautiful place, as well as there's a ferry in the West Fjords that you can use with a car as well. So different options to keep in mind if you want to cut down the time of driving or if the only way to get to a specific place is by boat. In the show notes of this episode on my website from foreigntofamiliar.com, I have listed the driving distances one way to popular places and the time it takes to get there, which will come in handy if you plan to drive. All of these distances are according to Google Maps, and the starting point is from Reykjavik. During the winter, you need to allow for more time if the road conditions are not the best. Because this list is kind of long of places you could potentially drive to that are popular, I will just read off some of the examples of places and their distances from Reykjavik. For instance, the Blue Lagoon, very popular place, is actually really close to Keplavik Airport. But if you were to travel to it from Reykjavik, you have to drive 49 kilometers, and that will take you about 45 minutes. Thingvetlir which is a UNESCO World Heritage Site and part of the Golden Circle, is 47.4 kilometers from Reykjavik, and it would take about 46 minutes of driving to get there. Vik, the small popular town along the south coast, is 187 kilometers from downtown and will take two and a half hours to reach by car. Skaptafet, which is farther east, is part of Vatnajökull National Park and is 326 kilometers away. And that will take, in the summer, really good weather, a little over four hours to reach. As I mentioned, check out my show notes to see how to get to certain glaciers, Jökulsalon, some other waterfalls, and many popular places that might have piqued your interest regarding Iceland. Since we're on the topic of driving... I think it is worth it to tell you about some of the rules of the road here. There are little to no traffic lights once you get out of the city, but there are a lot of roundabouts. This might seem strange to some people, but in a two-lane roundabout, the inner circle has the right of way. So if a person in the inner circle wants to leave, they put on their signal, the right-hand signal, And the person next to them in the outer circle must stop in the roundabout to let them get out. I have an illustration of this in the show notes, so check that out. 
any car in the roundabout has priority over cars that want to enter the roundabout. Also, it's good to know that any car in the roundabout has priority over cars that want to enter it. Please do not drive off-road. It can damage vegetation, and it is forbidden in Iceland. People take this quite seriously here, and if another person sees you doing it, such as a native, they will report you, and you can get a huge fine. Talking on your phone or texting while driving can get you a huge fine as well. There's been a lot more enforcement regarding this recently, and it's being implemented strongly by the police. So make sure to use your hands-free devices. Always check the weather forecast before heading out. If it is recommended that you do not drive, please follow that suggestion because the conditions can get extremely dangerous very quickly. The rescue teams in Iceland are volunteers, so you would be potentially risking other people's lives who work for free if you get stuck because you didn't listen to the recommendation to stay off the road. When you get out of town, there are long stretches of road here, which make it very easy to speed. So try not to let your foot get a little too heavy on the pedal. I know it's very tempting. For many people that listen to this show, they're from the U.S. and probably only drive an automatic car. So it's good to know that automatic cars can be found here at the rental companies. Manual cars seem to be a little cheaper. So if you can drive that and you want to pay a little bit less, that's a potential option. The Ring Road, also known as Route 1, goes all around the country, and it is very easy to follow. There are, of course, other roads that you can take to explore fascinating places, such as the West Fjords, Snæfellsnes Peninsula, East Iceland, and so on. F roads in Iceland literally have an F in front of the number on the map for that road. They are for 4x4 vehicles and are very rough because they are gravel. Even in summer, these roads can cause issues, especially if there's a storm. If you do plan to drive on one, make sure to check the weather and if the road is even open. Most people assume that because it's summertime in Iceland that a lot more things are accessible, but just this past summer, it had been a very cold summer, so a lot of roads still hadn't been open due to flooding or there being a lot of snow, it's best just to check beforehand to see what is actually available. It is also advised that two or more cars travel on these roads together if possible. Crossing a river in a car can be extremely dangerous if you don't know how and if you don't have the vehicle that is equipped for it. So please don't do it if your vehicle is not equipped for crossing rivers. Of course, there are very small rivers, but I'm talking about these rivers that are in the on the way to the highlands or in the highlands that could be quite deep and could ruin the rental car that you have or even worse, get swept down river with people in it and people get either seriously hurt or killed. Regarding money in Iceland, most if not all places here will accept cash if it's in Icelandic krona. You can exchange money at the airport or get ISK, which is the abbreviation for Icelandic Corona, from an ATM. However, credit and debit cards are the preferred payment methods. It's fast, easy, and you don't have to worry about carrying around too much paper. I recommend using a credit card because you can more easily dispute charges in the event that a charge happens that you don't recognize. I do not think that's going to happen. I don't think it's very common that unwanted charges just show up, but it's better to be safe than sorry. The krona fluctuates wildly, 
one U.S. dollar is about 121 ISK. While that is more of a favorable exchange rate for people who have the dollar, things are still expensive. So I wouldn't assume that you're coming and going to be able to be balling in Iceland just because the, the krona has gotten weaker. Regarding communicating in Iceland, such as speaking the language or just being able to find things easily... I'm actually dedicating the next episode to useful Icelandic words and phrases for visitors to Iceland. But honestly, it isn't very difficult for you as an English speaker to be able to communicate in Iceland. Almost everyone here can speak English, and they do it quite well on average. However, Icelandic people really do enjoy it when you try to speak to them in their language. They're very proud of it, and they also just are very proud of foreigners who have taken the time to learn some words and phrases. So I encourage you to give it a try and see how it goes. As I mentioned regarding money, things are quite expensive in Iceland, and it is by no means a cheap place to visit. Food, alcohol, gas, clothing, and pretty much everything except for water from a natural source as a stream or tap and electricity are very expensive. The things that are free in Iceland, which is nice, (laughs) are a lot of hiking trails, water from either a natural stream or source or the tap, and electricity is so inexpensive that actually that doesn't really matter as, as much either. So just be aware that things can get expensive very quickly. I've added a link in the show notes that give you an idea of how much things can cost here. It is not necessary or expected that you will tip in Iceland for services. However, if you've enjoyed the service that you received and you want to show your appreciation by leaving a tip, that is certainly up to you. And I'm sure the person who receives it will be happy and appreciative. There isn't a certain amount that I can recommend to you. I think you just have to choose the amount that you feel is appropriate. The alcohol stores or Vinbuðin in Iceland are government run and as I mentioned alcohol is expensive because it is so heavily taxed here. One way to save a little bit is if you plan to drink is to buy your alcohol in the duty-free area in the Keflavík airport. You'll see a lot of Icelandic people doing it because it is so much cheaper and you do have they do give you a generous amount that you're able to take. If you want to save a bit while drinking out at bars, you can use an app called Happy Hour to see what happy hour specials are happening downtown or wherever near you. If you want to save on cost of food and you have a kitchen available to you while you're staying during your trip, you can buy food at the grocery store and cook on your own. On that note, I do suggest going out to eat some things, specifically some from the top 10 Icelandic foods to try which was the last episode that I did last week. So definitely check that out in the show notes because these are things that a lot of Icelandic people hold close to their heart and love to eat. And it's definitely a part of their culture. So if you want to experience a little bit of Icelandic cuisine, that will more than likely take place in an established restaurant or an Icelandic person's home. I wouldn't be surprised if the question has crossed your mind about when you should visit Iceland, depending on who you talk to. Some people really love summer, and some people really love winter. And honestly, every time of the year in Iceland is wonderful. Summer has long, bright days. Winter is perfect for seeing the northern lights. 
the fall, you can see the beautiful changing colors that are magnificent. And spring, while it isn't your typical blooming flowers and green grass, it is appealing at least for Icelandic people because the days are progressively getting longer. However, spring is still quite chilly and icy, and you can even go skiing in certain places in the country because there's a lot of snow. So I wouldn't come for spring if you were looking for blooming flowers. That's more in June, July time. So when you should come just depends on what you want to do. If long hikes in the highlands appeals to you and to be able to have daylight at any time of the day, then summer is your best bet for sure. If you're keen on seeing the alluring northern lights, a snowy wonderland, and to get that cozy feeling that many Icelandic houses have here, then you should consider coming in the winter. It is worth noting that you can avoid a lot of crowds if you come during the shoulder season months, like September, October, November, March, April, and May. The amount of tourists in Iceland skyrocket in the summer and for the New Year's celebrations, which are amazing. No matter when you come, though, there are certain things that stay constant. You can bathe in a natural hot spring or hot tubs in the very nice public pools. Icelandic people love to party, so if you want to do that in the downtown Reykjavik area, they'll be doing that on Fridays and Saturday nights. And most people don't go out until around midnight. One funny thing is that the ice cream shops are even open all year long, so you can try those out. And you might even see late night, like around 9 or 10 o'clock, Icelandic people in there, especially during the weekends, getting their ice cream fix before they're getting ready to go out to party. You'll always be able to find delicious food here. And if you have the right clothing and an open mind, you won't regret your choice to visit. I wouldn't be surprised one bit if you end up falling in love with this country like I did. Next up to consider when preparing for your trip is your accommodations. There are many different types of accommodations in Iceland, and the range can go from being very affordable to ridiculously expensive, of course. Hotels on average are around $200 or more a night. Airbnbs are a cheaper option, but you need to book far in advance or you risk missing out on reasonable prices. Also, there has been some pushback against Airbnbs as of late here, particularly in the downtown area. So I'm not sure how long they will continue to be an expensive option. Just putting that out there. But for now, it's definitely something you can look into. Hostels are, are for sure much cheaper than a hotel. And I would just shop around to see if you're interested in that option. Camping can be quite nice in the summer, and it's not very expensive. A well-anchored and sturdy tent is necessary because the wind can easily blow your tent over or away. There are many campgrounds with facilities in Iceland, and I'll have a link to them in the show notes. Additionally, there are summer houses or cottages on the countryside that can be rented in summer or winter. I don't know why Icelandic people call them summer houses when they are used all year long, but such is life. Guest houses or regular bed and breakfasts can be an option that you book at reasonable prices. If you're going to the highlands of Iceland, you can book a space in a mountain hut. These are very basic accommodations and they're usually shared with other people, but they are quite nice after a long hike or drive to get there. Internet and Wi-Fi are readily available downtown in hotels, cafes, restaurants, and so on. 
However, many remote places might not have Wi-Fi, so be aware of that and just ask about it if you're going to book in a place that is quite far out in the countryside. Downloading directions from Google Maps or having a GPS that does not require internet can be helpful if you plan to travel around the country. The good news is that there is only one road that goes around the whole country, so it's not terribly hard to get back on track if you get lost. If you are coming from a part of the world that does not use the standard European plug like the US, UK, Asia, and so on, you will need to find a converter to charge your gadgets. Also, European appliances run on 220 volts, so it is something to keep in mind if you have a hairdryer, flat iron, or whatever type of electronic device that runs on different volts, such as 120 in the U.S. If you're curious about safety, just know that Iceland has been named the most peaceful country for many years in a row. It is a very safe place. However, crime like theft can happen anywhere in the world. Just make sure to keep an eye on your belongings, especially downtown, where it can be very crowded. The country is also a very kid-friendly place, so feel free to bring along the kiddos if you want. There are lots of playgrounds and interesting things for them to explore. If you're on a super strict budget, you're super adventurous, maybe both, and your travel plans are quite flexible, you can use this as an option. I suggest only doing it in the summer because more people are traveling on the roads and you have sunlight all day which makes it easier to get picked up because people can see you. The length of your stay is, of course, entirely up to your budget and ability to be away. If you are able to stay for a week, I definitely recommend that because you can see a lot of awesome sights and do things. However, I know that everyone's schedule is different, so choose what works for you now. If you can stay longer, that's awesome. If you can only do a few days, that's awesome too. If you enjoy your stay, hopefully you get the chance to come back and see more of this amazing place. Now that you've been armed with some tips on how to prepare for your trip to Iceland, I'm going to move on to the next portion of the show, which is the random fact of the episode. 60% of the Icelandic population lives in the Reykjavik area. With a 2018 population estimate of over 350,000 people living in this country, the capital area is densely packed with people in comparison to other parts of the country. The Icelandic word of the day is Ath Unterbua. Ath Unterbua. Unterbua. And that means to prepare. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of All Things Iceland. I upload a new episode every week, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss them. If you want to connect with me, see when new episodes are published, and check out my adventures in Iceland and abroad, I will have links to my social media profiles on my website, from foreigntofamiliar.com. Thakkar og